Happy Mother's Day to all you Grace Place ladies. It's a great day to celebrate motherhood. There's not any perfect moms out there, is there? We have any perfect moms out there? How many of you have ever spent uh, 10 or 15 minutes with your child looking for um, the chocolate that was his and you ate the night before? That proves you're not a perfect mom. I know my kids, they were probably 10 or 11 years old before they knew that a sandwich came without a bite taken out of it. But happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a wonderful day. Uh, It can be a very difficult day at the same time for those who have uh, wonderful moms who are still with you. uh, It's a day of joy. But for those who do not have wonderful moms or those who've lost your mom or for those who've never been a mom or for those who've lost a child, it can also be a day of mourning. But even in your grieving uh, this morning for the losses in your life, I believe that God can minister to you and uh, through this Mother's Day message. Um, My message today is actually to celebrate women, women who give all that they have, all that they believe in, uh, to walk out God's plan in their life, and women that find themselves on all different kinds of journeys. Women who are brave and who are dedicated and who are strong and women who don't give up. So even if you're not a mom, uh, God calls you to be brave and this message is to you. So um, even if you're a man, God calls you to be brave to live. You have to be brave to live with us women. So this message is for you too. Um, All of us have heard the story of Moses many times, but today's message is actually about the brave women that surrounded Moses, the women of inspiration to me and a great example to us. Um, The definition of brave is to be courageous in the face of danger or in the face of pain. Uh, This is the verb definition. For example, if you hear somebody say, you've been very brave, that means you've been very courageous. But there's also a different uh, uh, meaning to the word brave. If you use it as a noun, for example, the American Indian was sometimes called a brave. So the definition in this case means that he was a warrior or he was a fighter. So I like to put those two definitions together, the verb and the noun, and say he has called us to be a brave brave. He has called us to be a courageous warrior or fighter. And so today we're going to look into, um, we're going to take a careful look into the first two chapters of the book of Exodus. And we're going to explore some of the uh, amazing women who pursued God in the midst of some very difficult times. God used them to change the whole course of history. These are women that surrounded the life of Moses. So let's read, um, I'm going to read just a short portion because it actually takes up two chapters, but let's read Exodus 1, uh, 6 through 14. It says, now Moses and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. 
come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked with them ruthlessly. Now, if you'd like, you can leave your Bible open because we're going to make reference to the first two chapters of Exodus. But I'm not going to read anymore. But uh, let's pray over the message this morning, shall we? Father, I'm so thankful, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, that I have to share uh, with the ladies this morning. Lord, I just ask that you would bless your word, and God, that you would um, hide it deep in our hearts this morning, and we'll give you praise, Lord. I ask for anointing and blessing in your name, Jesus. We thank you. Amen. Okay, so first we're going to look at um, the challenge that was in the land of that day. I just read to you, uh, but when Joseph first moved all of his family members to Egypt, there was only 70 people, 70 family members that came to be with him in Egypt. Now 430 years have passed by, and they now number 2.4 million. So over that 430 years, they have multiplied. God actually multiplied Abraham's seed just like he promised. Uh, But this is a very challenging time that they're living in for all of Israel because the years uh, have passed and Joseph is gone and they no longer um, have that favor that they had with the Pharaoh when Joseph was alive. Now they have a new ruler who's in power, and he doesn't remember anything that Joseph did for his people, and he very much dislikes Israel. He's intimidated by them. Uh, The Israelites have multiplied and grown. They've become this massive population. The land is just filled with them, and this new ruler is a very nervous uh, leader. He's come to realize that his kingdom uh, includes a large number of foreigners And he becomes very paranoid about all of these people. Now, he needs them because they contribute to the economy of the land. And he wants to keep them around, but he wants to contain them so that they won't become a threat. So the answer to his dilemma is that he just wants to reduce their size. So Pharaoh begins to oppress Israel. He begins... uh, uh, ruthlessly oppressing them and putting slave masters over them. The Egyptians work ruthlessly, uh, work them ruthlessly, and, and cruelty and oppression is the life of the Hebrew people at this time, during this time. But still, over all of this, with all of this happening, Uh, The Hebrews just keep multiplying. They just keep having babies. In fact, some commentators say that they had two and three and four babies at a time. And so they were just continually multiplying, even under all this ruthless oppression. So finally, to put a stop to the multiplication of the Hebrews, Pharaoh speaks to two of the midwives, and he calls them in. And uh, one of them's name is Shifra, and the other one is Puah. 
And uh, he calls these midwives in, and these are the midwives for the Hebrew, ch- uh, Hebrew women. And he tells them, from now on, when you go in to help deliver babies for, your, for the Hebrew uh, mothers, if you find that they have a boy, I want you to kill them immediately. Don't let any of the boys li- live. Kill them immediately. Now, I want you to notice that a couple of things. First, I want you to notice that the names of Shifra and Pua are recorded in Scripture. This is a really big deal. Uh, this is an incredible place of honor for these women's names to be recorded in Scripture. They play a critical role in the faith history of God's people. Uh, Shifra and Pua. Note that even the Egyptian Pharaoh of that day does not have his name mentioned in Scripture. He's only called Pharaoh. We don't know who who it was. We don't know his name. Eventually, even the adoptive mother or the princess that adopts Moses, it never tells her name. But it tells the name of these two midwives who Pharaoh calls in and he says, I want you to kill all the babies that are boys that are born. When I read this, I, I had to remember and think back in Scripture. I'm reminded of the, of the biblical proverb that says, The memory of the righteous will be a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Isn't that amazing? It's as if God or the Lord wants their names to go down in history. They are to be remembered. Imagine with me if you were one of these two women, and you had been called in front of, into Pharaoh, and he tells you, I want you from now on to murder all the babies that you deliver that are little boys. This is their assignment. Obedience to the king at this time would mean personal favor and wealth for them. Disobedience would lead to harsh discipline and possibly even death. And the Bible says, but they feared God. They did not do what the king had ordered, and they let the baby boys live. Pua and Shifra. They are the first names in scripture that God uses in his plan to deliver his people out of Egypt. These are the first brave women that surround Moses. Two very common women in the midst of pressure from the king and a lot of violence and among the people, they feared God. They feared God. What does it mean to fear God? To fear God is not to be afraid of him because he's an unpredictable God. That's not the definition. But being afraid of, of God is, the fear of God is actually being afraid of living outside of what we know he expects of us. It's a reverence to his authority. Being afraid to live outside the boundaries that he know, we know he has set for us. I believe that there was that fear of God that made them brave. It was the fear of God that made these women brave. They made the decision not to do as Pharaoh told them to do. They probably didn't tell him right away that they weren't going to do it. Perhaps months went by. Possibly even years went by before Pharaoh realizes that he still sees a lot of these little Hebrew boys running around. And he realizes that they're not fulfilling his edit. So he questions them. He brings them in and he says, 
Why have you not done what I told you to do? And the midwives, their answer is, uh, oh, well, you know, those Israelite women, they're strong women. They're not like Egyptians. They just pop out babies right and left. They don't even need us. They have babies before we can even get there to help them, before we even arrive. Many uh, scholars and commentators will tell you that the midwives were women who were barren. And so it was a great honor and a great responsibility to give them uh, the responsibility of birthing these babies. It was a high honor that was given to them. It reminds me, sometimes I think about women, some of them who are even sitting in this very service, who have not had the joy or have not gained the joy of, of birthing your own children. And yet, God has given you a seat of honor in the fact that he's allowed you to mentor young children and, and show them and teach them a ways in the knowledge of God. In that sense, God has given you many adoptive children. He has rewarded you and he's blessed you. Some of you have been blessed through the gift of, of maybe fostering children or adoption. Others have been blessed by given the opportunity to just maybe speak into the lives of, of young adults or youth and teens. And because of that, they have become your own children. You have mothered or mentored them. At any rate, notice that, that simple act of bravery of these two women against evil was used to begin the deliverance of God's people and set into motion the future deliverance of us. These two women who were brave enough to stand up to, the, to Pharaoh and not do what he said. I can't even fathom their bravery. The lives that they put on, they put their own lives on the, for all of these children. Pua and Shifra. I want to remember their names. They are the first names in scripture that God uses in his plan to deliver, to deliver his people out of bondage. The scripture says, and this is a really cool part. The scripture says in verse number 21, it says, because the midwives feared God, in other words, because of their bravery, he gave them families of their own. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? How amazing. But Pharaoh wasn't ready to give up. So next, Pharaoh gives the order for every Hebrew boy that is born to be thrown into the Nile River. All of the population at this time was enlisted to help him, not just the midwives. From now on, he says everyone is to help him in his plan of genocide. It's not just the midwives. Now he wants everyone, if they see a, a young boy, uh, to be, he, they are to be thrown into the river. It's at this great time of challenge that we are now led into the story of Jochebed and Amram. Let's look at the conception in Exodus chapter 2. Jochebed and Amram had two children, Miriam and Aaron. Now, Miriam was at this time most likely around 14 or 15 years old, and Aaron was about three years old. But God blesses Jochebed, and she conceives another child. I want us to try to imagine what it would have been like to be carrying a child during this time. During the time when the king is, has put out an edit that everyone is supposed to kill any little baby boys that are born. 
how she must have been feeling to carry her child, knowing that the king's order was that her baby should be thrown into the Nile River where the alligators were thick and death was certain. She did not know what she would deliver. There were no mammograms back then. Would she have a boy or would she have a girl? Imagine the kind of anxiety that she went through uh, as she was thinking about this and as she was carrying her baby. Surely there must be a way to save this baby if it was a boy. Possibly maybe she even hid her pregnancy so that others would not know. I think of Jochebed's dilemma and I have to also think about mothers today who in our world today who carry their babies in all kinds of uncertainty. Many deliver their babies into poverty, um, um, isolation, and yet bravely they refuse to give up their child to abortion. Jochebed could have safely uh, went the easy way and went with the king's edit, and she could have yielded to his orders, and her family would have been safe. In refusing to offer her child to the Nile River, she was putting herself, her children, all of her family into danger. Remember, they are slaves. This is the life they live. Their life means nothing in the society that they're living in. They're already oppressed and living in horrible conditions. But Jochebed feared God, and her fear of God made her brave. It may be tempting for today for mothers to take the easy way out and to abort their babies, but I'm telling you, if the fear of God is within them, and if they will go ahead and have their babies, God will bless them. God will bless them. Jochebed acted with great bravery, and the fear of the Lord and the love of her child made her brave enough to stand up to the king. And that leads us into one more point, the concealment. Jochebed was not afraid. The Bible says that Jochebed was not afraid to go against the king's orders. She and her husband knew that Moses had something special about him. And they knew that God was going to do something special through Moses. And so they began to make a plan of how to conceal him or how to protect him and how to hide him. They decided that they were going to hide him. And so for three months, they hid him. In my mind's eye, I have a a visual, um, I can see her as, and imagine her in the middle of the night, in the midnight hours, as she quieted her child, or making sure that his sounds didn't carry to the street or to the neighbors. Remember, according to Pharaoh's edit, everyone is now responsible to throw the child into the Nile. So she has to hide her baby from everyone. Finally, she realizes that it's no longer possible to keep hiding Moses. And she has to find an answer. She must be willing to do whatever it takes to protect her child. When I was growing up, I um, grew up in a household with a single mom. And my mom worked very hard just to put food on the table for myself and my sister And most days, my sister and I would walk home from school to an empty house um, to fix our own supper and to do our homework. I know that this was a very huge deal for my mom. I know that what she really wanted to do was to be there. 
And I know that my mom did her very best to protect and to shield us from the world of sin. My mom was a very strict mom. Uh, We were very, very sheltered. Uh, Although I hated this at the time, I'm not sure that it wasn't such a bad idea. You know, you hear people say, well, their kids are just so sheltered. I'm not sure that's such a bad idea. What's wrong with sheltering our kids? Because of that protection and because of that shielding, sin was shocking to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because my mom sheltered me from the world, sin was shocking to me. And when I, when I grew up and was old enough to be faced with some bold and blatant sin, because I had been sheltered and protected it from it all of my life, it was shocking, and I was, I was shocked and even offended. And because of it, it kept me away from that sin. I'm thankful that she protected me and that she sheltered me. Mothers, it's going to take some bravery for you to protect your children. Because there's pressures from every side. Your kids are going to feel pressured from their friends. And because they feel pressured from their friends, they're going to pressure you. Your kids are going to get angry with you and they're not going to understand why you're so protective. The Bible says that we should raise our children in the fear of the Lord and to show them the right way. This will not always be a popular decision. This won't always be the popular thing. But the fear of the Lord can make you brave. Sometimes the only thing that is standing between them and Satan is you. Sometimes the only thing that's standing between your child and a a life of ruin is you and your prayers. Sadly, after three months, Jochebed realized that she was going to have to take new measures to protect Moses. So then came the commitment. She concealed him. Now she has to commit him. In that commitment, what she's really saying is, okay, I'm letting go. At last, she's committed to do whatever is necessary, even if it means giving up her child into God's hands in order to keep him safe and to protect him. I can't even imagine the agony of that. Can you? I can't imagine the agony of that decision. I can hear her in my mind praying, God, don't you see me? God, don't you see my child? God, aren't you aware? God, what's going to happen to my baby? And then her final prayer might have been, okay, God, I trust you. Yahweh, God, is her only hope, and she's committed to trusting Moses with him. How many mothers, young mothers, have gone through that sort of a decision, knowing that there's no way they can possibly care for their child. What bravery in letting go. Unimaginable. So incredibly brave to have to give up your child. But listen, it's not just those mamas who have to make that gut-wrenching decision to put their child up for adoption that have to let go. At some point, every mother has to walk through the process of letting go. We have to trust God. We have to trust God with our child. We have to commit them into the hands of the Lord. 
it seems like that's probably one of the primary things that mothers have to learn to do, and that's let go. It starts at daycare. Then it starts in kindergarten. Let me, t- I mean t- let me tell you a story on Krista, okay? When Krista was in kindergarten, she was a lot like Eliana. If anybody knows Eliana, you know what I'm talking about. She was a lot like Eliana. And th- we, we had taken Krista, and she had gone to meet her teacher. And, and she, so she was familiar with her classroom. But the first day of school, I took her in. And, I mean, she was in the back seat bouncing around. No car seats back then. She was bouncing around in the back seat, so excited to be going to school. She had her little Annie lunchbox, and um, she was excited to be going to school the first day. And so I walked her into kindergarten the first day. She didn't even look back at me. And I was, so, I mean, I was like nearly in tears, and I thought, well, surely she'll be sad or she'll cry or something. I'll have to, you know, kind of you know, push her in there and say, okay, it's time to go. You have to go. But no way. She was just, she bounded into that classroom and so excited. And so the only one with tears was me. And so I left and went home and, and picked her up that afternoon. And she was all excited about everything happened. The next morning I went and parked my car expecting to walk her into her class again. But before I could even get the car turned off, she was out the door and running up to the, to the school without me. I was like, wait, wait, don't you want me to go with you? No, it's okay. And I watched my daughter as she went up to the, the uh, front of the school, and she tried to open the front door. And she couldn't even get the door open. And she was pulling and tugging on the door. That was the only time she turned around and looked at me. It was as if to say, can you come and open the door for me? But before I could even do anything, there was an older kid that came up behind her and didn't even pay any attention to her, but he opened the door. And when he opened the door, she shot through it. And you know what? I watched her do that day after day until she was big enough to open that door herself. That was a lesson for me right there that, okay, I have to let go. This little girl is one little girl of independence, and I have to let go. It starts in daycare and kindergarten, summer camp, when they get their driver's license, um, on their first date. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Until the day they walk across the stage at graduation, until the day they walk on the stage with their future spouse. It's always a process, mamas. It's always a process of letting go. Honestly, it never stops. Even now, today, I'm still learning to let go and trust God in the lives of my children. But I will say that as I continually learn to commit them to the Lord and his will, he has never failed to care for them. He's never betrayed my trust. Ladies, you're always going to find yourself having to be brave when it comes to committing your kids to the Lord. Jochebed wasn't just brave. I'm telling you, Jochebed was brave, yes, but she was one smart cookie. She was a smart lady. I believe she did her research. I think that she probably knew that Pharaoh's daughter came regularly to the Nile to bathe. 
I think she might have been scouting it out. I think that probably that she'd been praying with all of her might that the princess would fall in love with her beautiful baby and that, and that he, she would want to spare his life. It was her only hope. The princess was the only one that could spare Moses' life. So she tucked him away in a basket, or uh, one interpretation of it says in an ark, an ark of safety. Get it? Isn't that cool? But she sent him into the Nile River. She actually did what the king said. She put the baby in the Nile. So uh, she put the baby in the Nile River along the bushes and the cattails and probably whispered a prayer or maybe even shouted a prayer, I don't know, over this baby as she committed his future to the Lord. She sent Miriam, his older sister, to set watch and see what would happen. Miriam's a child of probably 14, 15 years old, but she was given the responsibility to watch over this younger, this little brother, and that was a great responsibility. I try to imagine my granddaughters who are 13 and 14, and they have a little baby brother, and I try to imagine them uh, watching over their brother uh, uh, as they're trying to save his life. I can't even imagine that. But Jochebed was acting according to plan, knowing that there was no way to save her baby unless, except this way. And she was committed to do whatever it took. So as the daughter of Pharaoh came and to, to bathe that day, she saw the basket and she sent for the basket and she opened it and she looked upon the baby. And as she opened the basket, Moses began to cry. I believe at that moment, God supernaturally and immediately gave her a love and a bonding for that child. She was caught by Moses' beauty. She was caught immediately. She knew that this was a Hebrew baby, and she knew that her responsibility and her job was really to throw that baby into the river. But she fell in love with him, and she wanted to save him. She knew that it would not be a popular decision, and if you read into history, historians tell you that she had to fight to keep him. She had to fight for her right to keep him. Her father is trying to destroy all the babies, and here she brings, her, his own daughter brings home a baby and wants to keep it. She bravely stands up to this opposition of her father. She gives Moses the name of Moses, and in Hebrew, the name Moses means drawn out of the water, which that's a pretty fitting name. But do you know what Moses means in the Egyptian? In, in Egyptian, Moses means my son. Isn't that awesome? How brave for her to give him a name that means my son. She took a stand. This is another woman of bravery, bravery around Moses' life that maybe you didn't think of before. But there was an immediate bonding to Moses and a deep, unexplainable love. Miriam, about that time, the servants probably were all standing around going, you can't keep this baby. You can't keep him. How are you even going to nurse him? How are you going to take care of him? And immediately, Miriam steps out of her hiding place, bravely steps out of her hiding place, and she runs up and she says, I, do you want me to go find somebody to nurse the baby for you? So she runs to get her mother and bring her mother to be the nurse for Moses, her own child. You know what's awesome about that? What's awesome about that is that they even paid her to do it. 
She got paid to take care of her own son. Isn't that just like God? When we're willing to give up and commit those things that are most precious to us, to commit them into his care, he rewards us. When we're willing to commit our children over to the Lord and say, God, they're yours and I can't do anything with them, you know, and we're willing to give them up to him, he rewards us. Bravely, Jochebed did what she could and she trusted God to do what he could. She committed her beloved baby boy to God's care. And then something really exciting happens. Because she does that, she's given back the baby. And she's allowed to care for Moses uh, during his weaning years. Now, different commentaries tell you different things. It was somewhere between um, a year to, it could have even been seven years, five to seven years before weaning age at that time. But for a short time, she had her son back, and it was time to teach, to cultivate, to cultivate, to develop, to improve, to educate, to train. She had, uh, must have had to teach Moses a lot of things during that short time of those few years that she had. Did you know they say that the first five years of your child's age are the, uh, are the most important? It's said that the first five years of a child's life are the most important. That's when their morals are taught. That's when they're uh, the most sensitive to spiritual things. What a great responsibility that first five years to teach and train our children. Jochebed had several years to pour into him. I believe she taught him about the creation. I believe she taught him about Yahweh. I believe she taught him about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and their move to Egypt and God's promise to deliver them and God's promise of salvation and on and on and on. She taught him the important things of God. We know that Moses, even if she just had him for five years, we know that Moses never forgot the teaching and never forgot the training of his mother. Moses' adoptive mother, the princess, that we don't know her name, she later became a queen. And from the time of his birth, from the time of Moses' birth, until the next 40 years, there's only one verse of Scripture that refers to Moses. And when it refers to him, it says that Moses was schooled in the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word and deed. Historians um, write about the struggle and the fight that the princess went through in, able, in order to keep Moses as her child. And finally, she gains her father's blessing And after that, she begins to provide Moses with the finest education that was available in Egypt. They offered geography and history and music and Egyptian law and mathematics and literature and writing and philosophy. And all of these things were poured into into Moses, which would incidentally come in really handy when he wrote the first five books of the Bible. Do you see how God how God worked there. He gave him, Moses, all the knowledge and all the uh, training that he needed in this field by his adoptive mother and gave him all the spiritual training by his, by his birth mother. But she grooms him to be a future leader, thinking that he will eventually be the Pharaoh. But though tutoring him in all the Egyptian ways, his birth mother, Jochebed, taught him in all the ways of God. Uh, Some theologians actually believe that his adoptive mother, the princess, at some point became a believer. We don't know this for certain. 
But Moses was uh, schooled also in military arts. He was a commanding general in Pharaoh's army by the time he was 20 years old. Much of this he owed to his adoptive mother. But Jochebed taught Moses and never departed from the teaching. And he never departed from the teaching. She taught them at some point that he was going to have to choose between right and wrong. That sometime he was going to have to know the truth. And he was going to have to make a choice. Moses later chooses to be counted among his own. And he gave up his wealthy uh, upbringing and status to stand for what was right. Now, there's, there's much more to the story of Moses, but we're going to stop right here. Aren't you glad? But we're going to stop right here. I, want, I wanted you to hear the story of the brave women that surrounded Moses, that even paved the way for him to be able to fulfill God's plan for his life. They were in the background. They stood in the background. Shifra, Pua, Jochebed, Miriam, and Pharaoh's daughter. All of them played a brave role in Moses' life. You know, we hear a lot about Moses, but we hear very little about those women that played an important part. I think that we have a church full of very brave women here today. Some of you may be facing any number of great enemies in your life. God speaks to us, and he calls for us to be brave. The last week or so, I... um, um, got the privilege of, of visiting someone, a very special lady in the hospital, Julie Campos. And at one time when she was telling me um, some of the procedures that they were doing uh, with her, some of the, one of the ways that she described it, and she said it more than once, she said, I'm trying to be really brave. I'm trying to be really brave. Do you hear her say that? And some of the things that she was going through are are horrible and terrible and something that no one wants to have to go through. And and yet I heard her say that, that phrase several times, I'm trying to be really brave. In Joshua 1 and 9, it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. What I want you to take away from this ministry this morning and this message this morning is that my bravery may look a lot different than your bravery. But we're changed and we become recipients of God's blessing when we choose to step out and take risk in obedience to God. Ladies, I'm wondering in what area of your life Right now, do you need God's strength and courage? What areas of your life do you need courage? Do you need bravery? Is there something that strikes fear in your heart or weighs heavy on your shoulders right now? Does it help to hear that scripture that says, the Lord your God will be with you? Remember, ladies, this isn't just a story. These were real women. Real women faced with real issues. Life and death issues. If they can trust God and act with bravery, so can we. Can you just bow your heads right now? 
want to ask if there's any women here this morning who, who feel like you need, you don't have to be a mom, but feel like you need courage for whatever you might be going through. Just to ask you to raise your hand. Okay, several hands all over the place. I just want to pray for you this morning. And I want to ask God to to give you the courage that you need. I want to ask God to make you brave. To give you supernatural courage. Can I pray for you? Lord, I'm so thankful for the ladies that are here today, Lord. They are my heart, God. I love them, Lord, and I know, God, that you love them. And, Lord, I just pray, Lord, some of them are going through very difficult things. God, I just ask that you would supernaturally give them courage, God, to make a stand, to be strong for you, Lord. Give them supernatural courage. God, give them faith, Lord, when they hear that scripture that says, the Lord your God will be with you. Lord, plant it in their hearts, God. Give them courage for the task at hand, and we give you praise for it.